Well, good morning and welcome to the middle of three weekend services here at Messiah. Uh, if this is your first time, uh, we're really ending a series today called Shift. And I was sharing with the audience last night on Saturday evening service that, you know, even though I'm pastor here, I'm, a, I'm just a human being just like you guys and a Christian like y'all. And I struggle with areas of my life just like you probably struggle with areas of your life. And although I love all the series that the Lord gives me, there are certain series that mean more to me personally than perhaps others. Like, for instance, Intentional Life is a very powerful series in my life. But this one is one that I've been waiting for for a long time. And I kind of hate to see it end because I'm the kind of person that is always looking for the next challenge. I'm not one to, like, savor victories if I have a victory in my life and, and I don't linger over losses. In the NFL, you know, this is football season. They talk today about the 24-hour rule. What that means is you have 24 hours to celebrate a victory or to lick your wounds after a loss, and then you got to get on to the next game. And that's how I live my life. I, I always want to go to the next level. And as I shared with you, you know, I'm busier now than I was 10 years ago, and, and if God gives me health and strength, I hope that's the case 10 years from now. I always want God to take me to another level. I don't, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to go higher with God. And so this series has been like manna for me. It's been, it's been just a tremendous time in my own life. We've talked about how God has changed the names of several people. Our name is something, of course, that, that communicates identity. It communicates who we are. And we said the thing about God is he doesn't just make us better. God actually has the power to make us different. He can, he can change us. He can change our past by forgiving us. He can change our future by giving us a whole new destiny. So God really can change our name and make us a new person. In fact, the Bible talks about, you know, a new name being written in heaven. So indeed, God does people's names. But this morning, I don't want to talk to you about a person who had a name change. I want to talk to you about a place that had a name change. Months ago, when, I, when God gave me this series, and I knew it was coming, this was the sermon or the message that really captured my attention. This is the one that caught hold of my imagination. And I've been seeking this in my own life, and my prayer is that we'll seek it as a church, and that you'll seek it in your life and our families. This is a tremendously important message. Now, I'm just giving you a little inside stuff here so that you'll know what it's like to, to, to be in a pastor's life. Uh, I always am intimidated when I come to a message like this because I know that my delivery will never rise to the level of the truth that I'm going to share with you. So I may be clunky in delivering this today. You know, my thoughts may not be as sequential as I would like, but I do know this. I know when you walk out of here today, you're going to have a life-changing truth. So I'm, I, I feel very good about that. You pray for me as I deliver the message, and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit, you know, God himself who is with us, I'm going to pray that God will tailor-make this message to your life. I was just blown away after the service last night. Uh, the, just the people who came up and spoke to me, how God used this message in individual situations in their life. So I really believe you're in for a life-changing 30 minutes or 40 minutes or however long I go this morning, all right? Well, if you were here last week, you know we covered the life of a guy named Jacob. And Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. You know you've heard of Abraham in the Bible. Jacob was his grandson. God had made great promises to Abraham and that he would make a great nation of him. And, and throughout the years, you know, God was going to bless this nation. Jacob knew about all those promises. And even as a kid, he wanted to be part of what God was doing. He wanted to receive all the blessing. His problem was he was the younger brother of twins. And Jacob knew that by law and by reason, all the blessings would go to the older brother. He was determined, as we saw last week, to get that stuff for himself. He wanted the blessings. You know, he wanted the birthright. 
He wanted all the stuff that God was going to do. He wanted God to do it in his life. But the problem with Jacob was, like so many of us, he tried to get it his way. And that's true. Like I said last week, anytime you try to get on your own something God wants to give you, you'll mess your life up. Anytime you reach for something that God wants to hand you, you know, and you try to get it with your own schemes and, and ingenuity and your own plans, you'll mess it up. And that's what happened with Jacob. He tried to get, buy the birthright from his brother with a bowl of chili. He took advantage of his hunger. And then we saw how he pretended to be his older brother Esau. He put on Esau's clothes and his dad couldn't see very well. And, and he convinced his dad that he was his older brother so that his dad would confer the blessing on him. He was doing all kinds of tricks to get what he thought he wanted in life. And one day he reached the point where he realized he had so messed up his life that he had to get away from his home. His brother was now saying he was going to kill him. And Jacob and his mother kind of worked out a plan where they would convince his dad that Jacob needed to leave home so that he could marry a girl that was not from that region. His mother said, I want you to go up to my home, which is about 400 miles away, and I want you to find a girl up there. And we had the rest of the story last week. If you weren't here last week, you can download that message on the internet or you can get the CD or DVD. But in any event, Jacob now has got to leave home. That's where we're going to pick it up. The, this, the story that we're going to cover today is in that little bracket of time when Jacob has to leave home and go out on his own. And what happens is he goes as far as he possibly can go in one day. And if you look at Bible maps, you'll discover that he covered a lot of ground for one day. But the time came for him to go to sleep. Night fell. And he, he found himself on the outskirts of a little town called Luz, L-U-Z. Now, he did not pick out that town. It wasn't like there was a Holiday Inn there that he planned to stay at or, or, or you know, a Marriott or, or that, you know, there was a, a choice hotel that was there that he said, well, if I can just get to Luz. It was just that he happened to come there. I mean, <clears throat> there was a, you, you would ha really have to be a, 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 an older person like me and you'd have to be really into trivia to remember a group that was big in disco days. They were kind of one-hit wonders called the Bay City Rollers. I don't know if any of you remember that group or not. A few of you, I see a little recognition going on there. They, they, they were, they were kind of like blew up, you know, and big for a while, and then, then they just kind of settled into obscurity. But I don't know if you know how the Bay City Rollers got their name or not, but the group, you know, when they kind of got together and started singing, they got a map of the United States, blindfolded themselves, and put their finger down, and they happened to put it down on Bay City, Michigan. That's how they got their name. And that's kind of how Jacob found a place to stay. He just traveled until nightfall, and he came to a place called Luz. Now, names brand. Names identify. For instance, when you came to church here today, you saw our name on the sign. That name either gave you comfort. Some of you, in all candor, had to crawl over that name to come today. Because names brand. Names communicate expectations. For instance, if you saw our name, you saw the name Baptist on the sign. Well, what does that mean? What, what are your expectations? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. My wife and I were at Wendy's, and we were, we were eating lunch one day. And there was a lady there who was, who was working at Wendy's, and, and there were several others, other people there who were working behind the counter. And, and I noticed that as Mary Alice and I left, we were walking in the lane outside, the lady and another employer were just watching me. And you know, you can tell when somebody's just really watching you, intent on you. And so I, I kind of turned around, and our eyes made contact for just a moment. And she said, you know, just spoke out to me, are you the pastor at Messiah? And I said, yes. 
because the guy had told her that worked with her that I was. And she said, well, you know, I, I really want to get over there. She said, I've heard a lot of great things about your church. And here's what she said to me as I walked away. She said, you're not like that Fred Phelps guy, are you? Now, I, I think the Phelps people are not believers. I don't think they're saved. I mean, anybody who could do what they do, there's nothing of Christ in that, but there's one common denominator. We have Baptist in our name. They have Baptist in their name. We carry their baggage. There are many other Baptist churches in the city. Are we what they are? Where would you find the name Baptist in the Bible? Where would you go if you wanted to find that denomination? In fact, most of us, even if... You know, some of us are real big into that. We probably don't even know the history. We probably don't know that there was one idea of Baptist in Europe, and then in the United States there was a whole different idea. But my point is there's an expectation associated with that. And in our case, the irony is we're not even part of any denomination. You know, 45 years ago, there was a break-off from an American Baptist church, and Messiah was formed. But names brand. And names produce expectations. And so it was with Luz. You know what Luz means? It means it grows here. It happens here. I mean, you would, you would hope that a, a city would have, a, have a, a better name. But I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you talked about Luz and somebody was from Luz, you would say, well, well what's, your, what's your city about? Well, it just grows here. Well, what grows here? Well, we got this almond tree. And we're known for that. We're known for almonds. Well, what's your, what's your future? What's going to happen here? Well, it depends on the almond market. But that's the name of our town. It grows here. It happens here. In other words, it just, we don't, we don't know uh, what we're about. There's just a tree that grows here, and we just decide to name the town. It happens. It grows here. This is what you can expect. You can expect a tree to grow here. And that's the place where Jacob settled. He, he, he lay down to sleep, and the Bible says that he found a rock. Now, listen, you got hard times when you have to find a rock for a pillow, but the Bible says that's what he found. He got this rock, put it on the ground, lay on the rock, and he went to sleep. Jacob, at this moment, thought nobody in the world knew where he was. He was a long way from home. He had no cell phone, no BlackBerry, no Internet. He couldn't contact his family and tell them where he was. They had no idea where he was. He didn't know anybody in Luz. I mean, after all, it, all they cared about was there's an almond tree that grows here, and it just, it just, this is what you can expect. Nothing, you know, we don't expect anything to happen here. It just happens, just grows here. Jacob, Jacob is out there thinking that nobody in the world knows where he is. But then he goes to sleep. And in his sleep, something dramatic happens. God gives him a vision. And in that vision, there is a stairway that goes from the ground where he is sleeping all the way up to heaven. At the bottom of the stairway is Jacob. At the top of the stairway is God. And angels are going up and down that stairway. And God says some things to Jacob. What God basically says to him is the same thing that God said to his, his grandfather Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make your descendants mighty. And by the way, Jacob, you know the ground that you're sleeping on? That's going to be yours and your descendants someday. And I'm going to give you all this ground around it. And Jacob is blown away by that. Because in his mind, he thinks he just happened to stumble on the place where God is. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have the book of Genesis. He didn't have the rest of the Bible. He didn't have a church like, like you and I have. In his mind, he thought, good gracious, I just came to this place, thought it, it just grows here, it just happens here, and I didn't know that God was here. This is God's house. 
And that is when the name of the town of Luz was changed to Bethel, which means house of God. Beth means house. El is God. House of God. And from then on, it had a different name. It went from it just happens here to being God lives here. Now, I want to talk to all of us for a few moments because you and I are either living in Luz or we're living in Bethel. You're either living in a place where you just say, it just happens here, this is what happens, this is what I can expect, or you're living in Bethel, which is what life is like when God shows up. Let me just read the text to you so that you'll know where I'm coming from on this. This is in Genesis 28. The Bible says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you living in Luz or are you living in Bethel? If you're living in Luz today, you have sized up your life and you've said, based on what I see, this is what I can expect. You've been married for a while. And by now, you know the hopes and the dreams that you had, in some cases, have not materialized. And you thought when you walked down the aisle, or when you waited for that bride to walk down the aisle, you thought, this is going to turn my life around in the most positive way. I'm going to have a wonderful marriage. But then you went home and you found out that after a while, this person is not who you thought you married. And now... You're, you may be living in Andover, you may be living in Wichita, you may be living in Bel Air or Augusta, but the truth of the matter is you're living in Luz because you've just said it happens here. This is just what happens in my house. This is just what I can expect out of my wife. This is just what I can expect out of my husband. And then you have children, and you, have, you, know, you think, wow, I'm going to have the greatest kids in the world. My kids are never going to have any problem. The teeth are going to be straightened, and they're going to make straight A's in school, and they're going to be top athletes, and they're going to be respectful, and my kids are going to be awesome. And then you, you find out you've got real, real people living in your house that have a free will. And sometimes we get to the place where we say, you know what, this is the best I'm going to be able to expect. My kids are never going to be any better than this. My marriage is never going to be any better than this. Then you go to work and you have a career and you've gone to college perhaps or you've worked your way up from the ground and you think, I, I'm going to have a sterling career, I'm going to make lots of money and I'm going to have something that's got meaning and I'm going to do the things that I really enjoy and I'm just going to look forward to going to work every day and maybe you go to work and there's a political climate where you work and it's not fun anymore and it, it could be fun but there are people there that just make life miserable and you, after a while you say, this is the best I can expect. Maybe if I can just hold out until retirement. The problem is you may be, you may be working, you may be working at, you know, in Wichita, you may be working in Andover, you may be working in Wellington, but the truth of the matter is you're working in Luz because you've sold yourself on the fact it just grows here. This is what I can expect. Well, what's life like if you're, if you're living and working in Luz? Well, for one thing, it's defensive. Because after a while, you, you don't want anybody to communicate that it could be better than this because you've come to believe that it can't be better. And so if anybody says, well, you know, are you satisfied with the status quo? Immediately you're defensive. 
I mean, you're saying, well, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to think that my marriage could be better. I, I don't even want to think that my relationship with my kids or my friends or my church could be better because I live in Luz. It grows here. I, it, it just, I'm just letting it happen. I think if you live in Luz today, you live in a climate of disillusionment. That's what Jacob was. I mean, when he lay down to sleep that night, when he was a young man, he had all kinds of dreams and visions that life could be great. And he was going to do everything he could. He was going to pull every string, play every angle, make every bank shot to make life work out. And when he lay down to sleep that night, he just said, you know, it just happens. This is Luz. It just happens here. There's a law in the city of Luz. If you're living there, you know it is the law that everybody, everybody speaks in that town. If you're living in Luz, you know that there's a law against dreaming. When you settle in in Luz, you stop dreaming. All your dreams are gone. And you can't dream. And you don't want anybody else to dream. Because dreaming is painful. Because somewhere along the line, you settled in to live in the city limits of Luz. By the way, you know, I live in Bel Air. There's a town motto. Every time I pass the, the, the city limit signs, there's a town motto. There's a town motto in Luz. You know what it is? You've got to shrug to say it. It's whatever. Isn't that the town motto of Luz? You know, you talk to your husband, you walk away, whatever. You talk to your kids, whatever. At work, Whatever. Breaks my heart that in the average American church today, that's the feeling most people have. They've lost their vision, lost their dreams. They just settled in to have a song service, hear a sermon, go into the Christian thing, going back to the world, and whatever. That's what life in Luz is like. The truth of the matter is, and what has captured my heart for the sermon, is that you and I don't have to live in Luz. Do you realize Jacob did not move when he went from being in lust to being in Bethel? He didn't have to call U-Haul. I mean, he didn't, you know, he, he, didn't have to, he didn't have to get a truck and say, man, I got, we got to move. We got to go all the way from lust to Bethel. He was on the same spot of ground, but it changed from lust to Bethel when God showed up. And that's what will change you from Luz to Bethel when God shows up. Because expectations change when God is there. God has the ability to take your marriage from Luz to Bethel. God can take you and your kids from Luz to Bethel. God, even if everybody else plays politics where you work, God can turn your workplace from Luz to Bethel. And here is the exciting thing. God can take you from Luz to Bethel. I mean, because that's what this was all about. This was God saying to Jacob, listen to me, son. You've lived in Luz all these years. You've tried to make things work. You've been waiting for it to happen. You've sized it up and said, if I do this, I can expect this. And God is saying, son, I want you to expect the unexpected. I want to take you from Luz to Bethel. What I really love is when the time comes to die and everybody looks at you and says, we're going to put him in a box or put her in a box and take that person out to the grave and put that box in the grave and go back to the church and eat potato salad. I want you to know 
God will have taken you from lust to battle. Where are you living today? You say, well, Mark, are you telling me i got to try better and got to start doing things better and maybe make some changes in my life? That won't hurt, but I'm telling you this. You can do all of it on your own that you want to, and until you invite God to show up, you're going to still live in lust. What's life like in Bethel? Well, life in Bethel says I don't have to bring it all by myself. I, I think to, this is the part, and, and I don't know how to preach this. I wish I knew how to preach this just captures my imagination. You've got to put yourself in my world for a few moments. I live in a world seven days a week where people count on me. And I feel so inadequate. I mean, when people come to tell me about what, what, what's going on in their lives, I'm a human being. I, I, don't, I don't always know the solution. Talk about standing up in front of you this morning. I'm a shy person. I, I don't like being on stage. I don't like being in front of crowds. If I ever get my mind off the fact that I'm delivering a message, if I ever thought to myself, I'm standing up in front of all these people and cameras are on me and it's going to go on television, I'd be like a deer in the headlights. By the way, I wish I hadn't even thought of that. <coughs> now listen to me. I feel absolutely inadequate in everything I do. I feel inadequate as a pastor. I feel inadequate as a husband. I feel inadequate as a dad. I feel inadequate as a friend. It's like I push and I go all the time and I can, never, I can never be everything I need to be. But the great thing about living in Bethel, are you hearing me today? The great thing about living in Bethel is I don't have to be because he comes and he makes me what I am not. He flows through me and the work that comes out of me is bigger than I am. You know, I know with God I have help in my marriage. And I don't have to say this is all I can expect. Because I can say, well, maybe this is what's happening today, but God's coming. <laughs> God's going to come help me. And, and I struggle with my kids just like you do. And, and there are times when I just want to beat my head on the wall and say, is this? But then I remember God's coming. I don't have to do this by myself. He's coming to help me. I'm living in Bethel. I'm not living in Luz. It's not just it grows here. It's not this is the best that I can expect. God's coming to help me. And when I, when I deal with what I do as a pastor, I, I don't have to say I'm inadequate and I don't know how to pastor all these wonderful people that, that come to hear from God every Sunday and, and, and need to be in a church that strategically helps them, you know, answer the call for the Great Commission because after all, we're all going to answer that for some, you know. So you, you, let, me, let me tell you, you know what a pastor does? You know, every once in a while people think a pastor is somebody who shows up at, at you know, all kinds of groups and functions and stuff like that. And, and, and that. let me tell you what a pastor does. A pastor helps you answer to God someday. Because you and I are going to all answer to God for what we did with the Great Commission. And when I think about that, I consider not only am I going to have to answer for how I fulfill the Great Commission, I'm going to have to answer for how I led you in fulfilling the Great Commission. And I, I feel inadequate, but I remember, you know what, I'm not in this by myself. He's going to show up and he's going to help us. I've walked through some valleys before when I could not see the sunlight. But then he came and changed loves to Bethel. In Bethel, we have a law, and the law says you can't despair. Just like there's a law against dreaming in Luz, there's a law against despair in Bethel because it never gets so dark that it's impossible. It never gets, it, it never gets so threatening that we don't have security because when he shows up, 
everything changes. I've got to be honest with you. I've been very open with you this morning about, about my role as pastor of this church. There are times in my humanity, in my frailty, that I sort of give up on things. I, I can talk to people sometimes and listen to them talk to me. And sometimes people can present a situation to me as they tell me about what's going on in their lives. I can think to myself, I don't know if these people have any hope. <laughs> because you see, that's what love's thinking does for you. I remember a couple, and I've talked to hundreds of couples, thousands of people probably through the years who were having marriage difficulties. And this particular couple, I remember them because it was the worst time of counseling I've ever had. Most of the time when people come in to talk to the pastor about problems they're having in their marriage, they're really on pretty good behavior because they're talking to their pastor. And they behave themselves pretty well. You know, I love it. When I talk to couples before they get married, you know, it's premarital counseling. You know, they're just sitting so close together. I mean, you know, I've got a, I've got a love seat that's got two spaces. And, and, and before they get married, it's like they're sitting so close together, you can fit two more people on the outside. When they have problems, sometimes they sit as far away as they can sit from each other. So I'm, you know, and, and this particular couple, they were, they were, I think, in their late 50s and very well-to-do. I mean, they certainly had no money problems in the world. But they came in, and it looked to me for all the world as if they absolutely hated each other. They were saying the most poisonous, caustic things to each other I have ever heard in all my years of pastoring. Now, what really blew my mind is they got into a full-blown fight in front of me. Well, people don't do that, you know? You're talking to your pastor, you wanna, you know, you're having problems, you just kind of want to make them sound real clinical. Well, I, I kind of do this, and she does that. And, and you know they may have fought before they came in. They may fight when they leave, but when they talk to me, they're going to be on their best behavior, you know, and they're going to kind of present their... And this couple, I mean, they just lost it. I mean, and, and I cannot tell you, I mean, they were, these, these are people that were at the top of their game in the corporate world. I mean, these were very... They, they were two of the nicest people you would ever hope to meet in your life. But they were saying awful things about each other, and they didn't know why they ever got married. Marriage had always been a disaster, and, and uh, you know, he had grown kids, and she had grown kids, and, and, you know, they were saying awful things about their kids, and I sat there and listened to that, and guys, I got to tell you what, I had some love thinking for that for a few moments, because I said, you know, I see what grows here, and it ain't going to get any better than this. And I couldn't even get a word in edgewise. I mean, I was just like, you know, I was like somebody at Flushing Meadows watching a tennis match. I was just going back from her to him and her to him and her to him and listening to what they were saying to each other and just sort of watching it all. And I realized I did not have any pearls of wisdom to give them at that moment that was going to transform their marriage. And I was too fatigued from the fight to even try. That's a fact. And I did the only thing I knew to do. I went to our resource room and I pulled out a CD series of a message, a series on the home I preached in 1992, I think, called Building Your House on the Rock. And I brought it back to them, and I said, guys, I don't know if you have any hope or not. But I said, if you do, your help is going to have to come from somebody a lot bigger than you. It's going to have to come from God. I do not know. I mean, I told them. I mean, I just said, I, I don't know how you're going to make it. Now, if you ever counsel with me, you know, I don't sugarcoat stuff. 
If you're looking for somebody to give you platitudes, you're looking to the wrong guy, because I try to be a straight shooter. don't even counsel that much, but when I do, I try to counsel straight from the Word of God. And I, and I just told him, I said, I really don't think, from what I can see, you have much hope, but if you have any hope, it's in God. And I said, now here's some messages that I preached on biblical principles and how they relate to the home. Now, if you have any hope, take these home with you. When you get up in the morning and you sit down to breakfast, listen to one of these CDs. I was like writing out a prescription. Some of you doctors, I, you didn't know I did that too. But I, I, I said, you know, listen to this and pray with each other. But I'm going to tell you, I mean, just between you and me, when they left my office that day, I didn't think that marriage had the chance of a snowball and a hot griddle. That's a fact. The next Sunday I came in, wasn't, the service wasn't even going on, if I remember correctly. And I saw that couple lying on the altar, not kneeling, lying on the altar right here, right at this very spot. God did something in their hearts. That marriage grew close together. They started serving the Lord. They live in another place today, but they are serving the Lord with all their hearts. Why? Because God came and they moved from Luz to Bethel. Some of you need to do that today. You, you, you say, oh, Mark, I'm a Christian. I'm not talking about being a Christian. Jacob grew up in a Bible-believing family, even though they didn't have the Bible. He grew up in a godly family. Some of you have been living in Luz all these years. I mean, these are the expectations. This is my husband. This is me. This is my wife. This is me. This is my kids. This is me. This is my family. This is what we can expect. We go to church. We tithe. We you know, we do all these things, but this is what we can expect in our home. I want to invite you to move from Luz to Bethel today. Because when God shows up, things change. Years ago at our old location, most of you weren't part of our fellowship in those days, but on South Hillside, our building was round. So whenever I would enter the worship center, I'd have to go all the way around to get to the platform. And I would always go around the right side, <clears throat> or usually go around the right side. There was an elderly couple who sat toward the back, and I mean, they were very elderly. They were, they were either in their late 80s, early 90s, and bless their hearts, I can still see them. They would just sort of toddle up to the church. You know, er, they were very, very faithful, but you know, they were so frail, they were just cute in the way they would sort of toddle up to the, to the building and help each other. And they never miss, and I love them. I love talking to them. I just, I'd come in the back door, and I'd, I'd see them every Sunday because I'd just walk around right where they sat, and I'd say hello to them, and it wasn't long before she passed away. This was probably in the late 80s. And then, you know, you've seen couples oftentimes, if they're very close together, you know, one of them passes, and it won't be long before the other one will follow. And he became very ill, and he was dying. The doctors had told me, that he wouldn't last very long, maybe hours. I went up to Wesley Hospital to see him. He was in the tower there. I could still see it. <laughs> I walked in one day, and you know, I was going to pray with him, and he was terrified. I mean, he was just very candid with me. He said, Pastor Hoover, I, I'm afraid to die. He said, I know. I've heard the Bible all these years, and I've heard you preach, and I believe in God, and I believe in heaven, but he said, I've never seen it, and I'm scared. And it wasn't just like I said it. I mean, I could sense absolute terror in this man. And I prayed with him and did the best I could, could to talk with him. But I, I thought, I, 
you know, if he makes it through the night, I, I want to get up here early in the morning and see him again, talk to him again. The next morning I did that. I got, I got there very early at Wesley and walked in his room, and I was expecting to see him just terrorized, but I was surprised to see him lying back in his bed. He was absolutely smiling. Now, some of you are buttoned down real tight in your belief system. You might not want to listen to the rest of the story, okay? You might just want to zone out, because if you're one of those ultra-theological types, you may not like the next part of the story. I liked it because I, I was there. I walked in and I said, Mr. Seward, how are you doing today? He said, well, Mark, he said, last night when I went to bed, I was really scared. Just like I was when I talked to you. But he said, at 3 o'clock this morning, I woke up. And he said, that doorway, he pointed to the doorway at Wesley. He said, that doorway was filled with light. And he said, Jesus stepped in. And he said to me, it's going to be okay. You say, Mark, do you think it was Jesus? Hey, I was there when he died. <laughs> he wasn't a bit scared. I'm just telling you, life changes when you move from Luz to Bethel. Luz says, it happens here. This is all I can expect. Bethel says, God has shown up and everything's going to be different. One more thing and I'm through. Jacob said, now he, he, he didn't know that God was everywhere. He, he thought God was right there. I mean, he's thinking, man, I got a 400-mile trip to make, and I just happened to be on the spot where God is. And he said, God was in this place, and I didn't know it. How many of us look back on things that have happened in our life, and we say, oh, God was there all the time. I do that. I, I'm so I'm so good at seeing God out my rearview mirror, I'm just not so good seeing him out my windshield. You know, I'm in life and I'm thinking, man, I'm lost here. This is a fog and man, where's God? I can't find God. And then I look back on what happened and, oh, God was there all over the place. Have you ever thought about the fact that God works in the ordinary? Some of us have the idea that God only works, you know, when I go to church and I stand and I sing and that, yeah, God works in that. But you know what? God goes to work with you. God goes home with you. God is there when you talk with your kids. I mean, you know, how many times do we forget that God is there? What God was saying to Jacob was, son, I've been with you this whole way. I was with you when you were at home pulling all those shenanigans. I was with you when you traveled. And by the way, son, I'm going to go with you all the way. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. You don't have to live in Luz where it just happens. You can live in Bethel where I am. And I want you to know God is there in the commonplace. God is there when you go to work. He's there when you talk with your wife. He's there when you talk with your husband. He's there when you clean the house. He's there when you do those jobs that nobody likes to do. He's there when you want to cry at night and you say, God, I don't think it's ever going to get any better. God is there. And he changes lust to Bethel. And he can do that in your life. Could I encourage you today, if you're living in Luz, move. And you don't have to change geography. You just have to change your way of looking at things. Invite God. Invite him in. How many... You don't have to raise your hand today, but how many of you would just say, I'm tired of living in love, I want to move to Bethel. I'm tired of living where it just happened. 
I'm tired of living in a place of low expectations. I'm tired of living in a place where I'm relegated to expecting only what the norms and the laws of averages produce. I want to live in a place where God shows up and he raises expectations. There is no greater illustration of moving from Luz to Bethel than what God does in a human heart when somebody receives his son. The Bible calls it salvation. Jesus called it the new birth. It is the most important thing that can happen in your life and mine. It's bigger than who you marry, bigger than where you go to school, bigger than you know what church you go to. It's bigger than anything you can imagine because it makes a difference in where you're going to spend eternity. Now somebody will say, well, Mark, I think I'm going to heaven because I am a pretty good person. You are saying my eternity is based on laws. It, it happens. It happens with me. This is what I do. Because of what I do, see, you see how that works? Because of what I do, this is what I can expect. I think I am a pretty good person. I expect to go to heaven. I said this in Powerlines Wednesday night. You know, if you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, everything they've ever thought, everything they've ever done, the things that they've hidden, the things that they've kept secret, if you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, you'd get up and move. And if everything knew, everybody knew everything about you, the person sitting next to you would get up and move. You and I know we're not good. In the dark recesses of our thoughts and minds, we know that we've thought and done things that would be shameful. If, if, if anybody were to put our life story up, biography, like the Truman Show, if anybody were to put that up you know, and, and show everything we've ever done or ever thought, we would run crying from this building. We know that love is not good enough to get us into heaven. Enter Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God moves you from lust to Bethel when you accept his son. This world was lust till God showed up. God showed up as a baby in Bethlehem in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life for 33 years. He lived a life that you and I couldn't live, deserved to go to heaven. But instead, he lay on a Roman cross and willingly paid for all our sins so that God could take you from Luz to Bethel. Luz says, I'll live a pretty good life. This is what I can expect. God, you're never going to be able to expect anything better. This is the best I can do. Take it or leave it. God will leave it. I'm not trying to be hard. God will leave it because God requires perfection to get into heaven. But here's the thing. When I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life, God washes all my sins away, transfers the record of Jesus Christ to my personal account, and takes me to heaven. Now, if you've never had that happen, you can have that happen right now where you are. You say, well, Mark, what do I have to do? Do I have to give money? Do I have to join the church? Do I have to become a Baptist? That's the last thing we want you to do. We want you to accept Jesus because he's the one. He's the one who changed this marriage. He's the one. I didn't transform this marriage. I gave up on it, but he transformed it. He's the one that transformed Mr. Seward into a bold, 
person ready to face eternity. And he can transform you. And you may have been religious, you may have been Baptist, you could have been a member of this church for all these years, but you've lived in love all this time. Let God transform your life. Let him take you to Bethel.